Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena, we'll hear a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue, and finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This week, we're talking with John Ensor, president of Passion Life Ministries. He's been involved with the pro-life movement for over 30 years, started as a Baptist minister in the city of Boston. So, John, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you, Bob. All right. So, John, can you tell us your story? How did you get started as an evangelical pastor in the pro-life movement? Yeah, I got started back in the 80s. And as you probably remember, most of the pro-life activity at that point was largely Catholic. And the evangelical church was really just awakening to the call and the cause throughout the 80s. And I was a pastor of a small church in the inner city of Boston. And one day, the issue of abortion, it just kind of came up in the preaching of the Bible one day, talking about the shedding of innocent blood. And the result of it was at the end of our service, we had something of a rather dramatic outbreak of people standing up and telling their story and weeping and crying. And I remember one woman stood up and just sharing openly her anguish over her past abortion. And then another woman stood up and then another and then another. And then the men began to stand up and tell of their responsibility in taking their wives or girlfriends for abortions. And it was a rather a dramatic day. And it was life-changing for me because I was not really aware of how much abortion had dramatically impacted the people in my church. To me, abortion was more of an ethical and academic issue, really. I didn't have this in my own experience, and I didn't, I've never talked about it. So it was a real point for me to listen and to actually repent over failing to understand abortion. And from that point on, I began to learn, and soon after, our church began to get involved in some of the activities of the city outside of Planned Parenthood. We began to bring women in crisis into our homes, and eventually we decided that we would be more effective if we started a pregnancy help clinic. So we did with the help of other churches in Boston, and eventually that grew into six ultrasound-equipped medical clinics supported by the Catholic and the evangelical believers and churches in the greater Boston area. John, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I wanted to, you know, affirm what you were just saying. This is true in the Catholic Church as well, right? That people think, pastors think, the congregation thinks that abortion really doesn't touch the people around us in the pews, right? But the statistics say that it does. You know, there are in the Catholic Church, I have statistics on that one, 30% of women who have abortions in the United States identify as being Catholic. So that that's a lot. We think in my Catholic. church, it came in and right around 30%. And so it was quite an awakening moment for me as a pastor to recognize that I was really in effect committing some pastoral malpractice by having said nothing. And one of the people that stood up that day was a lady that said that she had had an abortion one year earlier. And I was her pastor one year earlier. That's really when the pain was unleashed because I realized that she only did this because she didn't really have, you know, she said, I prayed and I asked God if what I was doing was wrong, that he would send someone to me. 
And I realized, well, that's what God sent me to do as a pastor for the church is to teach them what God's will is and to trust him in these situations. And so that was a hard day for me and for our church. But out of that tear and lamentation and repentance grew out really on 30 years now of pro-life work that began and spread throughout Boston. And then when uh, I ended up writing a book with focus on the family at that time, and that opened up some doors and we began to research where abortion was most concentrated in the country and where pregnancy help clinics were most needed. And one of the conclusions that we reached was that Miami was number one. They had 37 abortion businesses in Miami and they were mostly targeting the African-American and Hispanic community. So I went down to Miami in 07, 06 and 07, and we worked with the churches there and they now have five pregnancy help clinics in Miami that are doing very well. And then from there, I started working overseas to places like China and Cuba and other places. China and Cuba and other places. I can't wait to talk about that. So you started in Miami, meaning that you started opening up some pregnancy centers out there in Miami? Yeah, we went down there. We began to work again with the Archdiocese of Miami and with a lot of the evangelical churches down in that area. And we were able to organize teams of people to open up what they called Heartbeat of Miami in 2007. And they very quickly became the busiest pregnancy help center that I ever saw, busier than all the ones I had in Boston. And I remember just seeing the churches respond down there. They volunteered. We trained them to do the pregnancy crisis intervention. We were able to get ultrasound. We were able to get a doctor on board and quickly they began to start second and third centers. And the great story about Miami is that the lady that came forward first to help me helped start the first abortion business in Hialeah, which is a neighborhood of Miami. And she said, I helped start the first abortion business. Let me help you start the first pregnancy help center. Wow. And it turned out that we ended up opening our pregnancy help clinic in Miami next door to her old abortion business. And then several years later, moved into her old abortion business. And that lady now works with me in Passion Life, but her office is in the room next to where they did abortions. Oh my goodness. What was her conversion? Was there like a moment that made her say, oh, I can see now why this is the yeah. one? She has written up her story that people can find at our website, passionlife.org. It's called Conquered. But her story is that she ended up getting involved in an abortion business as, a, as her first job, not even realizing it was an abortion clinic. Later then, starting a business with her mom, then she got pregnant and had an abortion in her own abortion business. And that was for her the first sort of turning point that the, the trauma of her own abortion led her to a lot of destructive choices. She became an alcoholic for a while. And then in that period of lostness, she encountered a woman who began to explain to her the hope of Jesus Christ and his power to forgive and to transform her life. And she was just ready to receive it. And her testimony is that she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And slowly, as happened so many times, her life began to change. She was able to walk away from the alcohol. Her marriage improved. She began to pursue the Christian faith. And she was sitting in the church that I happened to be preaching at that day. 
and came forward and said, I want to help you. And today she travels all over the world with me. Her name is Jeannie Pernia. And her job is basically to give a testimony that no matter what's in our past, God can forgive, God can cleanse, and God can use us in the cause of life. All right, John, that's that's a message we've all heard, but we can never hear that too often. If we are, for example, praying outside of an abortion clinic and praying, we don't only pray for those women and those babies. We also pray for the workers on the inside. We also pray for people, the doctors, the nurses, the administrative assistants, because everybody needs Jesus Christ. Everybody everybody that is on the opposition side is just a future candidate to be a part of our movement. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. I I see them all as future converts. It's just a matter of timing. And we have some incredible other, that, that's a great example. There's other incredible conversion stories that we know about. Abby Johnson is, is yes. one of the more famous ones. Dr. Bernard Nathanson. Yes. Uh, that's an older story, but that's a very famous story as well. Anyway, that's, uh, that's we all need to love herself. So, yeah. So are you still working as a pastor at this time that you're founding these pregnancy care centers? Or did you stop doing that? And this is like what you're doing full time at this point. Yeah, I left my position as a pastor of a church. And I began more and more to define my role as a pastor to other pastors to help them grapple with what I had to go through, help them learn how to lead well on this difficult subject. And so that's why I wrote this book with focus on the family called Answering the Call. That was 15, 18 years ago. But now most of my work in Miami was working with the pastors and helping them grasp What does the Bible say? What does bioethics teach us? What does the science and the humanity of human life teach us? So that there's a a rationale for why to start pregnancy help clinics. My observation is that oftentimes a small group of people might start a pregnancy help clinic and they struggle for years getting people to support it and get involved. So we kind of reversed that. We went directly to pastors and leaders of churches extensively over two years to help them understand that this is the application point of pro-life. It's being pro-life, as you would say, is I'm going to be pro-life and I'm going to lead my church to be pro-life. What's that going to look like? Well, it might have lots of points to it, but the major point has to be to reach the women in your neighborhood who are in crisis and help them. It might go further. It might lead to the Supreme Court. It might lead to the White House, but it always can lead to the neighborhood and the Christian call to love our pregnant neighbors as we should. John, that's outstanding. So you start by going out to the churches, helping them to understand that part of our Christian witness to evangelize, part of our Christian witness to take care of the poor and and the downtrodden and reach out to all those on the peripheries is reaching out to women who have had abortions and or reaching out to women in crisis pregnancies. Exactly. So, right. So you're starting these pregnancy care centers. And then at what point did you feel like, did you feel the call, right, from our Lord to then move beyond the shores of the United States and see what's going on in the world? Yeah, my trajectory has been that I wanted to start in the neediest places, you know, just as a matter of stewardship, that I wanted to bring it to the inner city of Boston first. I wanted it to to reflect my neighborhood. I wanted the staff and the counselors and the board to reflect the the minority community that I was serving in and so on and so forth. And then I was looking for the neediest place in America that led me to Miami at first. And then I helped some people in Pittsburgh and LA. And then an interesting thing happened. My own daughter 
had grown up by this time. And in 2007, she left for China to be a missionary. And after about two years, she wanted to know why we hadn't come to visit her. (laughs) So we went off to China. And it was in China that I experienced another life-changing moment. And that is that I was invited to come and meet with a number of pastors in the unregistered or what we typically call the underground church in China. And I went there and there were 75 pastors in this room and they had been praying and singing for two hours waiting until I arrived. And they asked me to teach them for three days from nine to five. And I had never seen such a hunger to understand God's word and God's will and how to lead the church as I saw in Beijing. And I came home from that experience and two days later got a call to come and teach another 30 pastors over here and to come and meet with this leader over there. And I came home from China saying, I need to go to the neediest places in the world and help the church mobilize around the cause of life by reaching the pastors who teach the churches who mobilize the intervention. And so for the last 10 years now, I've been working mainly in China. And then as our organization developed, we started to target other countries like Cuba, India, Vietnam, and other places where abortions especially concentrated. Having not been to China, I think of China and North Korea, perhaps, as places where abortion is going to be forced, even in some circumstances, some, and at a place where, at least in the United States, they say, right, it's about choice. We could talk about that forever. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, I, I certainly don't think of China as a place where a pregnancy care center would in any way be welcome. So well, here's so, the thing. Here's yeah. the thing, Bob. It's a surprising thing. Okay. Because China's people have lived under the most oppressive policy in human history, the one-child policy. Now, it's been adjusted to a two-child policy. But just stop and imagine for a minute what it would be like to just be an average family in China and to be told that you have to abort. Not that you may abort, but you must abort. Right. Forced abortion for 35 years, okay? Now, what that has done is that it has embittered the people in a large way. For others, they've been trained to think that no one can be a good mother to more than one child. But these ideas are easily broken because all I have to do is point out that their grandmother probably had 12 or 13 children, a wonderful woman and a great mother and so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is that starting with the church in China, the underground Protestant and the underground Catholic church, you know, these people are very serious about their faith. And if you can show them what God's will is, they will pay the price to live it out. That's what's so exciting. So as soon as these pastors saw that the Bible and science both teach the humanity of the unborn child and calls us to rescue the innocent and defend those who are being dragged off to be slaughtered, as it says in Proverbs, that's it for them. Then they'll, they'll figure it out from there. And they don't mind getting in trouble for it because in a place like China, following Christ and suffering for your faith are the same thing. (laughs) It's very different than here. Here I have to convince all kinds of people that suffering is part of the gospel, but not in a place like China. (laughs) Right. We're so spoiled here. We think we forget that of joining in the sufferings, uniting our our sufferings with yeah. the sufferings of Christ. So let me give you one one clear example of this. 
in this training I did to these 75 pastors, first time I ever did it, I learned how to do it better now. But even then they were taking notes. And on the second day of the training, two ladies came with their neighbor who was pregnant with a second child. And they said that they spent all night with her, showing her from the Bible that God was the creator of life, that God would provide for her her daily bread if she would turn to him and trust him and have this baby. And they brought her to the training the second day to introduce me to her. And then they said this, we're going to be like the midwives of Egypt. Now, if you know your Bible and you know your Old Testament, you'll remember that the Jews were slaves in Egypt and they were ordered by the government to kill all the baby boys. And these two women were immediately connecting with that story because it says that the midwives feared God and let the baby boys live. And that's what these ladies were saying to me is now that we know God's will, we're going to fear God more than the government and we're going to make sure that this baby lives. When I was in Beijing a year later, training another group of pastors, these two ladies showed up to give testimony that they did indeed help that mom have her baby, second child against the law, but they worked it all out and that baby was fine. Yeah. So we're not just talking about helping a woman who is, we might say, abortion-minded, right? Make the choice for life. We're talking about helping a woman for whom not having an abortion would be illegal. (laughs) and helping them make a choice for life. Now, in this case, are you having to place a child for adoption or are you able to somehow have that child stay with this mother even under that law? Well, again, what's beautiful about doing missions well is that the local people get to discern how to do it in their own country. That's the essence of good missions, right? So in China, you cannot have a baby if you're not married. You can't get a birth permit. Even now under the two-child policy, it only means you can have two children if you're married. If you're not married and you get pregnant, you will not get a birth permit and you will be expected and pressured to abort. Likewise, it's very difficult culturally then for a single mom to have a baby and come home and make a living as a single mom. It's very different than here. So adoption becomes a real part of the solution in a place like China. And fortunately, because so many people have experienced the trauma of abortion, and many of them can no longer have children, oftentimes abortion leads to a level of scarring that they're not able to carry a a baby after that. Right. The interest for people to adopt a baby is very high. So we've been able to watch the church through their own mechanisms find ways for adoption to take place. But oftentimes they're what we would call more of an informal adoption because you can't just take a mother to a adoption center who's six, seven months pregnant. They'll just take her right off to have an abortion. So again, you have to, in effect, create a safe home for that mother to stay in. You arrange things informally. And that's just the realities of living in that kind of a culture. So you don't only run, if you will, pregnancy care standards. You have to run like safe homes. You have to run. Well, I say, don't don't say me or even Passion Life. We basically train the pastors and the churches, and then they figure out what rescue looks like. And it has led, in some cases, to groups of churches starting safe homes for moms so that the pregnant mothers have a place to live while they figure out the next steps. And it has led to four 
pregnancy help offices being set up in various hospitals in the country. Because again, remember in a place like China, abortion is not a political issue here. And many, many people and many, many doctors would prefer to see more babies being born. And right now the government in China is encouraging more babies to be born. And so hospitals are now operating pregnancy counseling offices to help more women choose life. And so we've been involved in helping set those up. Very interesting. That is really, I can't even imagine a pregnancy help center inside of a hospital in the United States. A communist run (laughs) hospital uh, uh, in China. Uh, Yeah, it's a model that could very well break through in China because again, we see everything through a political lens here. But in many other parts of the world, when I go to Cuba and other places, everybody just recognizes that there's too much abortion, that abortion has damaged so many people, and even medical people, even the abortion doctors themselves. I always go into the hospital and I sit down with the abortion doctors first, okay, because I want them to support the pregnancy help office that we're creating. And most of these doctors will tell me, yes, that would be great because they recognize every day women coming to them who are weeping and crying and don't want to be there, but they don't know what to do. So we're helping them be better doctors. I say, we can help you reduce the number of abortions by helping those women find the help that they need to give life to their baby. And then the hospital can make more money delivering babies and everybody buys into it. You know, if I wasn't hearing this from you, John, just from my own, you know, not very educated, I suppose, understanding of China, if someone wrote a novel or something saying that through the power of Jesus, you know, they're able to get an abortion center in a hospital or something, I would go, okay, well, that's far-fetched. I don't see that happening. But God is always bigger than my own (laughs) imagination, right? It's so fascinating, you know, what, what God can do and what God does through us. Right when we open our hearts to to yeah. His will, that's that's incredible. So China, you mentioned is one of the big ones, but you're also in several other countries. You mentioned as well. China has the most abortions in the world on an annual basis, but they have more people as well. Right. Cuba is actually number one in terms of the abortion rate, highest abortion rate in the world. So we right. obviously right. focused on Cuba, and again, we tried to leverage the relationships that we built in Miami to help us get into Cuba. And in Cuba, it's more of the poverty issue that is leading to such high rates of abortion. It's not not the pressure from the government or even cultural pressure. It's just the hopelessness of living in a socialist communist country where there's no opportunity for advancement and prosperity. But even there, as the church learns what we call the the answer to these four questions about the gospel of life, they begin to organize rescue. And in Cuba, on our first trip there, five women came forward, organized themselves into their own team. And because they couldn't afford to rent an office or anything, they started making house calls. So one of these five women is a doctor. And we got her a handheld ultrasound. And now they go house to house and they make house calls to all the women in their area, in their town who are pregnant so they can see their babies using a handheld ultrasound and an iPad is the screen. And in this one town that they were working in, they had 22 abortions in their town in 2017. And I believe in 2019, it was down to six. That's just in that one little town. So right. they're, they're basically ending abortion in their town by going after the moms and they d- haven't had an office. They just make house calls. 
So people do it in different ways, in ways that work. The idea is to turn everybody into a good Samaritan and to create an army of good Samaritan in each town. You know, that's incredible. Do do spread the gospel where you are. I know you're talking about going to other countries, but we're, what we're doing is as you are mobilizing the people in that neighborhood to serve those who are right next to where they are. What about like conversion, right? Particularly in an area where Christianity is not the most primary religion. Are we seeing people who mostly who are already Christian and then they're being helped or people are being helped and then they're converting? Yeah, it's both. It's that. both. In a place like Cuba and China, particularly, and like my church. I mean, I found out that my church is 30% just like the world. So there's not a big division between what the church looked like and what the world looked like. But hopefully, over time, they start to look differently. But it's both in a place. I always tell people this pregnancy related crisis, like all crises, are experienced as a crisis of faith. Fundamentally, it's a faith crisis. If you have faith that somehow things will work out, that you'll be able to provide, you have the baby. Abortion is what you do when you don't have faith, that there's a way forward. Then the abortionist becomes the savior who delivers your life back to you under the terms that you expected it. What we do in crisis intervention is that we help people have faith or hope that slowly God will reveal his provision for them. It might be they get married. It might be a second job. It might be adoption. might be all kinds of things, but it's not abortion. That means that in a place like China, for example, where there are millions and millions of Muslims, when a Muslim woman gets pregnant and she's not married, she's being pushed out of her community, and she's in crisis. And when the church is there to receive her and help her, it's not surprising that that becomes an opportunity for her to rethink her whole orientation in life and who is God and how does God provide my daily bread. And it leads to many people, whether they're Muslims, Tibetans, just secularists, or whether they're Christians, coming to learn how to trust God through Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible in a very meaningful way. So John, does your does Passion Life also help run or organize or train uh, a post-abortive ministry uh, as well? We do because again, almost everywhere you go in the world, like China, Cuba, India, you really can't start a pro-life ministry without also adding that after abortion care. Because most of the people that want to do pro-life ministry, or at least half of them, are motivated by their own personal pain and anguish of their own experience. So again, the lady I was telling you about, Jeannie Pernia, it's her past experience that ripened her and made her sensitive to want to do this work. In Cuba, the five women that came forward, four of them had had abortions. So the first thing that we did is we took them through kind of a 12-week forgiven and set-free experience to solidify their faith and make sure that they were doing this work, not out of some deep, bleeding, unhealed wound of guilt and grief, but out of the joy and the fullness of being forgiven and set free by God's grace so that they can serve God now as life-saving Good Samaritans. So everywhere you go, you have to do both at the same time. Right. The way we do it is we, we basically try to teach people the biblical answer to four questions. What does the Bible say about human life, including life in the womb? 
What does the Bible say about the shedding of innocent blood, including abortion? How do we bring the good news of the gospel to the guilt and the grief of abortion? And what has God called us to do to stop the shedding of innocent blood? And how can we do that today where we live? And those four questions are usually sufficient to help an an individual, a church, and a group of churches process what it means to be pro-life today. So I think you already mentioned it's at passionlife.org. That's where you can find the website. Uh, What can you tell people if they want to learn more about Passion Life or how to help? The thing that gives Passion Life a reason to exist is when you ask the question, what percentage of abortions worldwide on an annual basis occur in the U.S.? And the answer is 3%. Look at that. In other words, 97% of the pro-life challenge before us is actually a global missions challenge. And so having worked in the States for so long, I just decided I'm going to spend the last 10, 12, 15 years of my life doing pro-life missions and so this website is, a, is to help people understand abortion as a global challenge and to identify where they might plug in and be helpful. So we're working in Kazakhstan and in China, India, Colombia. I'll be going to Colombia next month. We've done some work in Zambia and we have a team working in Namibia. So we're just trying to basically take the pro-life movement and expand it in healthy ways around the world. And so if people go to this website, they're going to be able to learn more what we're doing in these different countries. They can download the four questions that I mentioned and begin to study them themselves. They can, you know, get involved with helping in China or Cuba or India, one of our key initiatives, and they can get updated on our work progress, for example, in Cuba people receive our letter. This is what's going on in Cuba right now. And here's our next trip to Cuba. So this is the way that we engage people. So you can read about it right there online. You could also sign up for a newsletter. Is that a monthly, weekly? No, it's as needed. Typically, when we're going to a country, we'll send out a word, and then we will ask people to pray, particularly while we're in that country, and then we'll give them a report of what's happened while we were there. And then there are occasional things that we just send out updates like, We've never been to Namibia, but we have people that we trained in Kazakhstan, for example, who moved to Namibia, and now they're training churches all over Namibia in these four questions. And they keep just sending us stories and pictures, which we then share with our donors and our intercessors. And then, of course, anyone has the means and is interested, you can also donate to the ministry right there at the top as well. Yeah, we have a lot of people who just say, I want to do pro-life missions, and they'll sign up to be a $100 a month partner with us or $50 a month partner. And you can go a long way if you get a lot of people doing a little bit. All right, John, we're running a little short on time. Anything else you wanted me to ask you or you wanted to say still about Passion Life or just about the pro-life movement here in the United States? My word to people is this. You may not realize it, but over the last 30 years, abortion has dropped by 50% in the United States. It reached a high point of 1.6 million in 1990-91, and we're down to about 800,000 or so. That's a 50% drop. That's a stunning achievement for a grassroots movement, okay? Which means that we're halfway completed with our task, and we just have to stay at it, okay? So we're only, we're halfway, hit the halfway mark for the U.S., And in many other parts of the country, we're just getting started. So my challenge to people is 
double down and dig in and keep at it. Great. All right. Well, thank you for talking with us today, for sharing your story of how you founded Passion Life, the great work you're doing to help women find the truth and beauty in all life and help them make the choice away from abortion and the solution to whatever problems they may be facing. So thanks for spending time with us today. Yeah. God bless you, Bob. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website to view more resources talked about in this episode at www.catholicaoc.org slash Pro Life. Thank you again for joining us today. I look forward to being with you next time.